Welcome, dear listener, to yet another teeth-chattering installment of Chilling Suspense. I am, as always, your humble host, Chester Legree. And I'm Margot McMillan, co-host and co-keeper of Creepies and Crawlies. And I must say, Chester, that you are looking rather dapper today. Why, thank you, Margot. It's nothing that special. I just like to look my best, you know. After all, we are professionals. Oh, of course. Probably nothing to do with an audition later today, right? (laughs) Uh, audition? Whatever do you mean? I saw this flyer right here on your desk. A Mask of Bone. The stunning tragedy by acclaimed director Jean-Jacques Jardinet. According to this, auditions start today at five. Huh. Oh, that. It's, It's nothing. Someone must have handed it to me on my way to work, as I'm sure you, our listeners, and station management are all aware I am much too happy working here to ever even think of looking for another role. Well, why shouldn't you get another role? I mean, not that I don't adore this show that we do together, but I certainly have other gigs going on, other parts I play. Oh, of course. I, uh, wait, you have other parts? Where? With whom? Are they casting? (laughs) Chester, don't be coy. You must know that in addition to the Varney Soap Company Drama Hour, I also help in several local theatricals. I believe I saw you lurking by the stage doors of the most recent play I was in. I tried to come up and say hello to you, but you must have left quickly. (laughs) I think we're getting a bit off track, Margot. By the way, I do actually happen to know of some other auditions happening this week. I'll get you the info for my contact. We have another tale from the Great Ghost today. I know you've all been clamoring for it, especially my co-host. So, without further ado, let's join our phantasmal hero. I had always known the war would end this way for me. I had been buried alive. I woke to the cold feeling of mud on my face. Cramped and stiff, I began to panic. A sense of being unable to breathe descending on me. And started to thrash in the confines of my grave. My mind flashed, I- Did we get the scripts shuffled around? Where's Marcy? Or Father Flatterly? Ward went down choking on his own blood at the end of last episode, not in grave dirt. I'm sure some of our listeners might be asking the same question. Rest assured, you're not missing any of the exploits of our favorite vigilante, the Great Ghost. We are looking into the past, seeing the beginning before the beginning. Now, as I was saying, my mind flashed to a recurring nightmare I often had, one where I would wake at the bottom of a pile of corpses and was nearly sick when I suddenly felt a grip on my arm and a hand brushing the sodden dirt away from my eyes and face. Earth and darkness turned to a cloudy sky and silhouetted in it a familiar face. Walt was looking down on me. Hey, hey, you're fine. Settle down, you're fine. He assured me, waiting patiently as I pressed a hand to my chest trying to calm myself. My heart was racing. After a long moment, 
Walt told me to get up in a tone that brooked no argument. We need to talk, he said, his face grave. Okay, I rasped. My mind was still swimming with shock. I had been sure I was dead, and finding out I wasn't was disorienting. He pulled me up to my feet. I was alive, but we were still in the trench. I steadied myself for a moment against one of the walls, feeling clods of dirt roll loose beneath my fingers as Walt turned his back to me, leading on. Faces of the men I passed seemed echoed in the low, forbidding grayness of the roiling sky. Everything about their blankly staring eyes made me uneasy. What happened? I murmured to Walt. Mine went off a little too close for comfort. Some of the walls collapsed. A bunch of the boys are working to shore them back up, but it's got everyone on edge. But that's not what I need to talk to you about. We got something else to discuss. Well, that explained why I woke up half buried in mud. Didn't make me feel better about it, though. My heart was still beating quicker, my breath coming more ragged than I would have liked. We worked our way down the firing line to find our group. George and Bill were sitting next to each other, as always. I don't know that I'd ever seen them apart. They were passing back and forth a cigarette, squabbling when one thought the other was taking too long to pass it over. Next to them was Ritz, head bent and working a fire, cooking up something in his tin, some sort of meat, maybe. It was hard to tell anything by smell in the trenches over the smell of dirt and gunpowder and death. Huddled in the corner, sleeping, was Jim. He usually did the late watch, always seemed to get stuck with night patrol. Walt and I moved up to them and tried to find a spot to sit that was less mud than dirt. Morning, Corporal, Ritz said as Walt sat beside him. You hungry? If you got your tin, I got enough meat for you to cook something, if you want. I'm fine, Rita Zoli, Walt told him. Somebody wake up Baker. We have to talk about last night. Now I'm up, Jim Baker said, lifting his helmet with a hand to reveal a face that was tired, but alert and awake. There was a fresh scab above his left eye. It'd probably scar, I thought. Good. Glad to hear it, Jim. Walt acknowledged, looking back to the rest of the group. So, the raid last night. Bill, what happened? Bill glanced between Walt and I, and then over to George. What? Walt, you were there. He started to protest. That's corporal to you, Davis. Walt interjected, face stern. Bill squinted at him, rolling the cigarette between his fingers and snatching it away when George tried to pluck it from his hand. Well, Corporal Walt, it was a raid, Bill said flippantly. George took one look at Walt's expression and elbowed him in the ribs, muttering a warning. Ow! Jesus! We, uh... Raided the German trench, we captured a combatant, same old easy stuff. 
He took a deep drag from the cigarette, passing it to George, who shrugged at me apologetically and took it. Specifically, Walt said, emphasizing each syllable. What happened? Details. Well, we left after dark, you know, made our way across, and... Bill stopped. An odd look crossed his face as he stared into the fire Ritz was tending. As he glanced up at first George, then Ritz and Jim, I realized they shared it. Confusion and alarm. Like they'd all suddenly realized they'd forgotten something very important. I could feel the same look on my own face, and even if Walt wasn't showing it, I knew he felt it too. I... I don't know. I just remember waking up and Thomas saying he was going to go check on the prisoner. Rucker was with us? Walt questioned. Yeah, Ritz replied. He didn't sound sure. He was next to me. I was showing him the way since it was his first time across. I found myself so preoccupied with trying to remember what had happened that it was becoming difficult to listen. Thomas and I had both arrived last week. Last night had been the first raid for both of us. I remembered the fear, and I remembered being afraid of getting tangled up in barbed wire, the howling of the wind, the rush of running toward the enemy trench, bayonet extended, and I realized we were going to make it, but then nothing. All I remembered was waking up in the mud, thinking I was dead. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but I know I'm having trouble recalling exactly how it was we got back, boys, Walt said, looking to each of us in turn, each of us nodding in confirmation as he met our eyes. We need to see what Rucker knows. If this is some new chemical weapon, we need to know about it. You said he's with a prisoner? There was a murmur of agreement, and Walt rose to his feet, beckoning for us to follow. Ritz stayed behind for a moment, stamping out his fire. I lingered, waiting for him. Together, hunched and anxious, we made our way down a communication line to the medical area in the support line, moving past men rushing new sandbags to the gap in the wall the mine had created, and then through the support line, past men smoking and eating, to a group of German prisoners mingling with troops, laughing and trading hats. We finally saw Thomas in the distance, talking to a German soldier. The German had small wireframe glasses with oval lenses and thin, short hair that was receding. They were standing close, heads bent together, talking in whispers. Thomas Rucker was a short, ugly man with two defining features, lank, greasy hair sorely in need of a trim, and a smile like the Cheshire Cat. Well, that's certainly an unflattering description. I've got a bad feeling about this Thomas guy, Chester. Oh, Margot, it's a classic misdirect. A, a red herring. They've painted such an 
obvious caricature of a villain that he's clearly not the villain. Care to make a wager? Ten dollars? Uh, I'll wager two. Oh, not so confident now, are you? It's... no, it's it's just that... Well, payday's next week, and, uh... Margo, we're getting distracted. Oh, sorry! <clears throat> we had just begun to make our way toward them when our superior, Sergeant Harper, spotted us and moved to block our way. Washington! He was a large man with a voice like a whip crack. What the hell are you doing on the support line? You should be helping the boys fill the holes in our defenses. Did you sleep through that mine going off, son? Germans could rush at us at any second, and you decided to take our unit sightseeing? He barked at Walt. Sorry, sir, Walt said, straightening up and saluting. I need a report from one of my men. We may have had an unusual occurrence on the raid last night. And he's not with you? So you thought you'd take a little trip? Does that sound about right, soldier? Harper jeered. No, sir. He's right over there, Walter answered, punctuating his words with a point in Thomas's direction as Harper turned. Who in the... Has that prisoner even been questioned yet? Where did he even come from? And why, in the fresh hell, is your man fraternizing with him before debrief? Harper snarled. Before anyone could answer, he'd begun to stride towards Thomas and the German, hands tucked behind his back, and head lowered like a bull charging. Rucker! The sergeant hollered, shouldering his way down the line. By the time we caught up, Harper was holding him in place, a fist clinched tightly on his collar. The hell do you think you're doing, Private? You forget you're supposed to be on the front line, not here, socializing with the enemy? Or are you starting to get sympathetic for old Kaiser Bill? Sorry, sir. Uh, you see, the this prisoner we picked up last night, he, uh, he has some very interesting information about an important asset I thought you specifically might need to know about, sir, Thomas replied, clearly caught off guard by the menace in Harper's voice, trying gamely to wriggle loose from the sergeant's vice-like grip without setting him off. Oh, really now, Private? And what, pray tell, might this invaluable asset of yours be? Harper asked tucking his hand behind his back again and leaning in to tower over the small man. I saw it coming. I knew it was coming, and I knew I couldn't stop it. If there was one thing I'd learn about Thomas Rucker and the week we'd known each other, it was that he just couldn't seem to stop himself from being a real son of a bitch sometimes. Why, Sergeant, I think you know... Thomas told him, conspiratorial, and Harper leaned in closer. I saw Walt's shoulders stiffen. Don't you dare, Rucker. Don't do this. Even without being able to see his face, I could tell exactly what kind of glare he had fixed Thomas with. Behind me, Bill and George had started to get rowdy, elbowing each other and whispering. Ritz had all but vanished, sensing trouble on the horizon. Only Jim seemed unaffected, eyes focused and watchful. Spit it out, son, Harper snarled. What's so important you felt like you had the right to abandon your duties? I knew it was coming. It was that smile. Whenever he got that smile, everything went to shit. 
Why, Sarge, it's your mother. She seems to be hunkered down in the German trench, showing them the meaning of the American way, Thomas said, the words rattling out of that grin like bullets from a machine gun. One of the men nearby choked mid-swig from his canteen, and all around him, the others rushed to stifle their laughter. Harper's eyes grew wide in a face darkening with rage. You! How dare you! Harper roared. You think you can talk to your superior that way, you arrogant little... The sergeant was big, but he was never clever, and we could all hear the gears whirring and clicking in his head as he scrambled for a response. You! He barked at a nearby soldier. Take this prisoner for questioning, and you? He snarled, quiet, but not too quiet for me to hear. Rucker, you need to learn to watch your mouth, son. I could have told you what would happen next. You! Take Private Rucker in for questioning as well. I think we all need to know exactly why he feels he can get so friendly with the enemy. Don't you? Just so we're clear, this doesn't mean Rucker is the villain. It's okay, Chester. I don't mind collecting your money next week. The men Harper had indicated saluted obediently and moved to grab Thomas and the German. For the first time, the German, confusion and something like genuine fear started to spread across the prisoner's face. He looked to Thomas with questioning eyes. And then Thomas said something to him, and it wasn't in English. I hadn't even known Thomas knew German, and judging by the faces of everyone around me, neither had anyone else. Very suddenly, the German lunged forward, breaking loose of the soldier's hold, and he threw himself at the sergeant. Harper, big as he was, threw him aside easily enough. It was then he began to shout in earnest, loud enough to make me wince. I couldn't tell what he'd said. All that I remember now is noticing in the confusion the German had clipped something like a small brass pin to the lower back of Harper's shirt. That stuck with me because I couldn't figure out why he'd done it. I looked at him then like maybe looking at him would give me the answer. The soldier he'd shaken off had grabbed him again but he was holding something I realized. Something that was squirming. A rat. The prisoner was holding a rat. The trenches were full of rats, so it wouldn't have been hard to find one, but he just grabbed it, barehanded and without hesitation. He held it close, hunching over it as the soldier tried to wrestle his arms behind his back and jabbed it with something. Another brass pin. Just like the one he'd clipped to the sergeant's shirt. When he started whispering, face draining of color, something in my gut went a little sideways. The man was clearly insane, but something about how he was behaving made me very uneasy. Another soldier joined the first, hauling the German to his feet and yanking one of his arms behind his back, just as they'd almost pried it free from his fingers. He released it, throwing the rat into a group of nearby soldiers. A ripple of laughter spread through the group as one shrieked in surprise and another reeled and shouted as the rat struck his helmet. At almost the same time, 
Sergeant Harper grabbed his ribs with a groan, stumbling. The laughter quieted in an instant. Y'all right, Sergeant? Walt asked, surging forward to catch him before he fell. Did you get hit by something? No. Harper answered, visibly confused. No, I just... (laughs) Christ almighty, I feel like I got slammed into a wall. Something twisted in my gut. The pins. I looked from the sergeant to the injured rat, trying to scurry its way out of the confusion. No, it couldn't have been, could it? Almost as if in answer to my question, I saw the man who'd been struck struggle to his feet, scowling and raising his boot. I didn't even have a chance to speak before he brought the boot down on its head. In the same moment, not almost, but exactly the same moment, the sergeant... Oh my, (laughs) that's rather descriptive. Excuse me, uh... I don't think that my lunch is setting well with me. Oh, and now look who's feeling squeamish. I am an aficionado of the macabre, Miss McMillan. I am not and have never been squeamish. This is merely a... Indigestion. The sergeant crumbled, his head hitting the mud so hard a spray of blood and wet earth struck everyone around him. His skull split, the cushion of mud underneath insufficient to muffle the horrifying, resonant crack of bone. Gray matter mixed with the sludge of the trench, and as the men scrambled back, chaos. There was no other way to describe what happened next. And that's where we'll have to say goodbye to our intrepid band of... Wait, we can't end there. There's got to be more here. I'm sorry, Margo, but that's all we have time for this week. Uh, Yeah, we wouldn't want you to be late for your audition. (laughs) Oh, Margo, you kidder. (laughs) Of course I'm a kidder. I'm sure that if you were really trying out for this show, you'd have left already. After all, the flyer says auditions end in about 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Uh, uh, excuse me, Margo, I just remembered that I have to make a very important call. I'm sure you could just use the station phone, Chester. From a payphone! Across town! Hey, I'll be rooting for you on your phone call. Oh, never mind, he's gone already. Um, well... From both Chester and myself, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Chilling Suspense. We hope you're enjoying the adventures of the great ghost as much as we are. I've been Margot McMillan, reminding you that the past can have the power to bury you, but you have the power to bury it as well. Good night, and take care.